Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's been a great pleasure to welcome today's program, Jeff Burns, who's president at Kenko Material Handling Solutions. And today we're going to talk about material handling and fleet management, uncovering opportunities for cost savings and other business benefits. Now, supply chain logistics executives are um, today under a lot of pressure, not only to you know, meet more demanding customer expectations, but to do so in a cost-effective and a profitable uh, you know, manner. And uh, you know, therefore, finding opportunities you know, to manage costs and find productivity improvements is more important you know, th than ever. Um, and one area that certainly has a lot of opportunity, but may maybe a lot of companies overlook, is in the whole material, air material handling and, and fleet management uh, uh, aspect of their uh, supply chain. Um, so what kind of opportunities are available and what kind of benefits uh, can companies achieve in this area? Well, that's the key question we're going to answer in today's uh, episode. And it's great to have Jeff on the program to kind of share his perspective and insights and advice uh, on this topic. Since he lives and breathes this every day with the companies he works with. So, uh, Jeff, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Adrian. I'm, uh, it's a privilege to actually uh, sit here and talk with you and uh, talking about something that I get very excited about and uh, have been, uh, been chasing here for a long time. So uh, I'll be interested to uh, hear your questions and looking forward to it. Thank you. Great. Well, Jeff, uh, you know, we, we've had um, many of your colleagues there at Kenko on, on, the, on the logistics side on the program over the past few years. And, um, but you're the first time guest here on Tucker Logistics. And like I always do before we uh, kind of dive into the topic, I, I always love to learn how people get in this, into this industry to begin with. So why don't we start briefly there, just to kind of get a little bit of context on your background. You know, tell us a little bit about your career path, how and why you got involved in, in uh, logistics, and what your current role and responsibilities are there at Kenko. Uh, well, uh, interesting. Uh, I, uh, I started my career off as a, I'm an industrial engineer by school uh, with my degree, uh, and have been in manufacturing uh, really up until uh, basically out of college and until 2002 and uh, ran across, uh, met a friend uh, who actually was working at Kenco. And uh, at the time I was needing to probably switch the company I was, uh, I was currently working at. And he said, he said, you're an engineer? I said, yeah. He goes, well, Kenco's hiring engineers. And I go, you guys are a warehousing company and you have engineers? And so anyway, so, so that's how I came to Kenco. And uh, from uh, 2002 until 2005, uh, I worked on the supply chain side as, as an engineer and in operations. Uh, then in 2005, I was, uh, uh, it's kind of, kind of interesting. Uh, I, I thought I was actually brought over to the uh, dark side of the company and, uh, cause you know, basically, I mean, uh, Kenco is really known as, you know, from their distribution and warehousing transportation, uh, over to the material handling side, uh, which is where I've been since 2005. And, uh, and now, uh, I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Uh, it's a very exciting business. Uh, and uh, one of which uh, I wake up every day excited to come into work uh, to try to accomplish and uh, solve, uh, you know, fun and, and complex problems. So that's how it happened for me. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, I'm an, I'm an engineer by background as well, so I'm always, uh, you, you know, amused and impressed when, you know, you see all these engineers, and I came out of manufacturing too, you know, one way or another end up in, in this industry. And I guess to the latter point, you know, talking about the dark side, if you will, in the, in the yeah. material handling, uh, I think that's an area that, uh, again, I think, uh, 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 you know, we need to shed more light on because there's a lot of opportunities there. And, and certainly that's, that's part of the goal in, in today's episode. Uh, so, so that leads me really to my first question. I mean, let's start by defining, you know, fleet management. I, I think when, you know, transportation folks here, 
the term fleet management. They, you know, they probably think about, you know, trucks that they use to make, you know, pickups and deliveries. And, and certainly that's the first thought that pops into my head. Um, but material handling and, and distribution folks, you know, for folks in that area, fleet management means something else, right? Well, what does it mean? Well, you know, one of the things that uh, is very interesting about our about the material handling industry is uh, there are very few people out there doing what we would call fleet management. Uh, and, and, and we define fleet management as essentially cradle to grave uh, oversight of rolling stock. Uh, and, and that rolling stock will be defined as uh, equipment that would be inside of a distribution center or a manufacturing location. Uh, possibly even, you know, even out into a lumber yard or a brickyard, stuff like that. Uh, and we talk about rolling stock where obviously we're talking about forklifts uh, or material handling equipment, uh, you know, anywhere from personnel carriers, uh, your yard spotters, uh, you know, your uh, cleaning devices like sweeper scrubber, uh, you know, e- even up to like aerial products, you know, your boom, scissors, and so on and so forth that, that a company will utilize inside of a manufacturing indoor distribution location. So when we talk about fleet management, that is uh, for us, it is the oversight uh, and the, uh, the management of all of those things. Uh, and what we have found in our industry, there are very few people who are actually tracking that information, tracking that data, tracking the spin, tracking productivity, utilization, and so on and so forth. Things that we'll talk about here a little later. So that's how we define it. Yeah, no, that, that, you know, that's interesting. I mean, you really think about all these different assets, really, really in right. some ways it's almost like asset management and, and asset lifecycle management, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, around all, the, all those pieces of equipment. And, and so when, when, you know, you look at a manufacturing company or you look at a, you know, distribution center, I mean, what are some of the, the main challenges companies face, you know, related to, you know, fleet management? Well, one of the things, our industry, uh, and I don't believe this has been purposely, uh, created this way, but our industry is naturally creates blind spots for customers. And, uh, and so what's happened is, is over the years of the material handling uh, industry, what's uh, the OEMs or the manufacturers of the equipment uh, have created protected territories. And so what happens is is when you take a national company or even like, for example, a North American company, what happens is, is for example, so, uh, you know, a customer in who may have site in the Northeast versus, you know, the Southwest versus, you know, somewhere in the South, maybe Midwest, what happens is, is no one's talking to the other. And, and, and the reason is, is because a lot, a lot of times, particularly in manufacturing, uh, decisions are made local. And what happens is, is this, when decisions are made locally, then, then, then essentially the, the over, uh, I guess, you know, uh, arching sort of view uh, or this 30,000 foot view of their material handling equipment uh, is essentially a lost. Now, so what happens is, is because of that lack of visibility, then uh, standardization is, is, is almost uh, uh, irrelevant or, or actually not even uh, you know, possible because no one's talking to the other. The other thing too is, is then you know, uh, you know, utilization of equipment, uh, lack, of, lack of, of, of uniformity across the equipment. So then what happens is, is no one's sharing equipment uh, you know, and, and so because of that, uh, there's this, this natural blind spot for our customers. And, uh, and, and as a result of that, uh, with decisions being typically made uh, sort of, at, you know, at the local level, uh, then companies uh, have, are spending more uh, on their material handling equipment than they, than they actually need to be. Uh, and so what we typically see when we go in and do an analysis for a customer, 
uh, it is very, very simple to get to 10 to 15% savings. Uh, and we have, we have actually experienced, you know, savings of 20, 25% across their fleet. Uh, and some of it's actually very simple stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's stuff that even, even the customer themselves uh, could do uh, if that's something that they have the capability or, or, you know, someone with a bandwidth who actually could do this. It is simply getting a view from a 30,000 foot level, what you have, what you own, uh, and who's using and, and or uh, the different types of, of, of material handling equipment that you, that you own. You know, it's interesting because we, we talk so much about visibility in, in supply chain and logistics, right? And a lot right. of the time around visibility, it's around a visibility to a shipment, the visibility to an order, uh, of, you know, where's my truck, you know? Right. And, and as I heard you, you know, talk about this, I mean, here's the visibility, this is a different type of visibility, but one that's, you know, just as important as all the other types of visibility that we talk about in this industry, which is really, you know, having visibility to, to these assets um, and, and then looking at the data, right, or the information that you have to really uncover uh, opportunities for cost savings, for efficiencies, and so forth, because it sounds like, you know, just to paraphrase a little bit what you said is that, you know, it's very fragmented. Um, it's very siloed, uh, you know, the way companies approach this because of some of the, the characteristics of, you know, of, of the industry. So even just getting a handle on, I would think that even just getting a handle on how much do we spend a year on this type of uh, equipment is not necessarily an easy question to answer, right? No, it's almost, uh, we have, uh, we've, been, we've been doing this since 2010. And uh, probably I've had two customers who I asked the question, how many forklifts do you have? Uh, and what are you spending? And I've only had two customers actually be able to, or potential customers or clients say they actually, or could actually give me that information. Uh, because again, like you said, this is something that, that they're just viewing as a necessary evil. This is a tool that we have to have to do our job. Uh, and, uh, and as a result, no one's measuring. Yeah, no, that's, it. that's interesting. And I, and I guess if they were to try to go and find that answer, they would probably have to make, you know, 10 different phone calls. There'll be 10 different spreadsheets that they would get back and then they would have to try to merge those 10 spreadsheets. Right. So yeah, a lot of, you know, that's, phone yeah, calls and, and spreadsheets floating around. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. And, uh, when we, when we, you know, we actually first sit down with a client, uh, or a potential client, then what happens is, is we begin to go through this. We actually now created a template for them to actually collect that information. Uh, because uh, a lot of times they actually don't even, you know, a lot of times the customer really doesn't know what they need to be gathered. And, uh, and, and so as a result, uh, you know, that's, we sort of built an aid so that to actually help them gather the information. So yeah, yeah not- it's very, very common. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, that, very interesting. And I'm sure that yeah, one of the questions that always comes into play, and I'm sure it happens here, particularly when any kind of equipment is, you know, you know, do we buy, do we lease, do we rent equipment? Um, I mean, is this, a, I, I, would, I would assume that this is not necessarily an easy question to answer, but how, how do you go about, you know, answering that question or make those decisions? I mean, what, what kind of, what are some of the factors that come into play? What kind of information you need to kind of understand the whole, you know, lease, buy, rent decisions? Right. Well, and, and it is actually an easy question to answer. However, each customer has, you know, uh, you know, or, you know, their own philosophy of how they actually procure, you know, assets, uh, whether it be over the road tractors or, or, or material handling equipment, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, however, but inside the material handling industry, it is really, it's a math, it's a math equation. 
And it really has to do with the utilization or, or your hours that you're operating the equipment. Uh, and, uh, you know, in our industry, kind of 2,000 hours is sort of a, uh, a rule of thumb kind of, I guess, standard uh, that we work off of. Uh, and, you know, if you're operating, you know, in the high, you know, uh, you know, near 3,000 hours per year, 3,500 hours per year, uh, you probably should buy. Uh, because what's going to happen is if you go seek a lease, uh, the advantage of leasing uh, typically is that it should cost you less because the, because the, uh, because the OEM uh, is going to put a residual on there through their financing entity, uh, and it should reduce your cost. The problem is uh, if you lease and you're running uh, high hours, then the problem is, is that you're typically, your residual is going to be lower. Uh, and more than likely, you're probably going to have penalties at the end of that lease. Uh, and a lot of times those are surprises to our, to, you know, to customers. Uh, and if you've ever leased a car and you went and turned it back in, sometimes you may get a surprise. Uh, that happens very frequently uh, in, in our industry and something that, that, that must be taken, must be, you know, really accounted for. Uh, the other thing too is, is that if you operate your trucks less than 2,000 hours per year, uh, you can begin to look at leases, but then you also possibly may want to consider rentals uh, because rentals are, uh, are, are good when used properly. Uh, they are not good uh, by the end customer when used improperly. Uh, typically, uh, when we calculate our lease rates, we're going three to four times what it would, um, excuse me, our rental rates we're going three to four times the value of what you would pay for a lease. Obviously we own the asset, you know, you need it. Uh, and so uh, in those instances, you need to be very careful uh, how you're employing rentals uh, across your, across your network. The interesting thing is though, is in, in today's nature or that cut, you know, that, our, that, that companies are, are dealing with is the fact that no one can buy anything. And so, but everyone can rent. And so what's, what we see is when we go in and do an evaluation, we'll, we'll make our point of contact at corporate, typically who we're dealing with. We go out for site business, we come back and they go, are you aware that you have 10 rentals in this location? And they go, we have no clue. All right. And so as a result, they are, they are paying three to four times what they should be, when in reality, they probably could be leasing and or purchase a piece of equipment. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it really is, it comes down to just basically a math problem uh, when you when you look at how often are you using this equipment. And so that's sort of how we go about looking at whether you should rent buy or lease. Yeah, no, and I think it goes back to what we talked about, you know, previously. I mean, if you don't have that visibility and that understanding in terms of, you know, your equipment needs or how many, how much equipment you have and how much you're using and utilizing them and right. you know, kind of the, how they how that stacks up against the rules of thumbs that you have, you know, for those different breakpoints, if you will, um, you could be all over the map in, and kind of uh, leaking money out, you know, money out the door because uh, you really haven't done that analysis. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, as they would say, low hanging fruit, right? And from an industrial engineer standpoint, I mean, this, it's, it's the easiest savings possible. Uh, I often find it funny. I sit in, in, uh, I sit in a lot of meetings uh, and, I, and I sit in a lot of meetings with our logistics uh, 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 company uh, with Kinko Logistics Services. And I hear how they're, you know, they're continue. I mean, they're, everything is measured from the 3PL perspective, Right. And, and oftentimes we'll have a proposal in front of a customer where we could literally save them 10, 15% over, you know, a, a five, $10 million spend. Uh, and we're, you know, and, and, and it's hard to get every, everyone to understand because no one's really 
has considered, I actually can improve my material handling equipment, but I'm going to go over here and I'm going to beat up my 3PL, right, in regards to, well, you, you know, you employed too much labor here or, you know, this, that, or the other. So it's kind of funny, uh, you know, which, which, is, which is exciting for us because, because we're on the cusp of something I believe is new. Uh, you know, uh, it was funny, you know, when you and I uh, originally exchanged emails, you were talking, you were thinking about fleet as over-the-road tractors, right? Uh, and, and so not a lot of people are talking about this. And so it's exciting for us to sit in front of a customer uh, and just ask them those series of questions and to hear them say no. Uh, and it's great because then we have something where we can actually come and help the customer. Uh, and, and there are instances where, you know, we just sat in front of a customer and we've helped them and they went out and done it themselves. And, and, and this is not something that, again, uh, this is not rocket science, what we're doing here. Uh, it's just complex because of the size of it. Uh, and the fact that no one's measuring. Yeah, and, and I want to get back to that measurement piece uh, in a little bit here. But but I think, you know, uh, everything you just said is just spot on because, I mean, I think, you know, particularly in the trans- there's so much buzz and talk today around what's happening in transportation, for example, right, with increasing right. rates and, and fuel beginning to go on the rise and everything else. So everyone is kind of hyper-focused on that in terms of how to, you know, what are we going to do to control our transportation spend but to your point, you know, here's an opportunity that they're probably overlooking or ignoring and, and where they can get some substantial savings to counteract, you know, what's happening on the transportation side, as an example, which might be more difficult to solve, right? Than solving That's exactly or, right. Or, or capturing these, these opportunities here. Yeah. Um, you know, I think related to the whole lease buy or, or, or rent, you know, question is, uh, you know, obviously end of life, right? We, I, you know, I mentioned before, in some ways, when we were talking about this, you know, the sounds is asset lifecycle management in some ways. So I'm sure as equipment ages, you, you face, you know, kind of new questions, right? You know, do you, do you repair a unit? Do you retire it? Or do you buy a new one? Um, so, so I would think that lifecycle management is another important uh, component of, of fleet management, right? And then what's, what's involved in doing it, it right? Well, it, I mean, it is, it's the central piece of what we do. Um, and, you know, uh, in most instances, when we come in and we take over a new account, obviously we're taking something over, uh, midway through a lease or, you know, uh, they've owned the equipment for six or seven, eight years, so on and so forth. And, and we begin to track data and, and throughout our database that we've been now building since 2010 uh, on, uh, on almost, I guess, every manufacturer that goes, you know, across our, our industry, then what we begin to find is, okay, where, where are the failures occurring? And then at what point uh, should, should you begin to look at, okay, let's retire this, uh, this asset. And, and, and it's, it's again, uh, you know, not simplifying this, but it's very simple. I mean, it's, you know, what we call it is a washout analysis. And in that washout analysis, basically you're tracking what you're spending uh, to repair and to keep this piece of equipment uh, operating. You're also looking at your, at your uptime. How often is it, you know, are you able to actually employ this asset to actually go out and do what you purchased it for uh, versus when it's down? Uh, and so then basically uh, through that math problem, when, when the two cross, when it costs more to repair it and to keep it up and going, uh, uh, add it in with your, uh, with your uptime, uh, then that will begin to determine, okay, when do we actually retire this asset? Uh, and so... Uh, most companies we find, uh, there, there are several philosophies. Uh, some uh, want to have, you know, state-of-the-art equipment. They want to flip their trucks every, you know, three, four, five years. They lease them typically. Uh, we have cu- customers also who want to run them until they're 10, 12, 13 years old. And, and, 
And in many instances, that's being done without data. A matter of fact, almost consistently, it's being done without data. And uh, without data, uh, then you make you make decisions that are uninformed. Uh, and so uh, it's just a very simple uh, calculation uh, or essentially comparison uh, of when you should uh, retire that asset. Uh, and so that's the central piece of, of what it is that, that, that we, we're doing, uh, and that is, is we're measuring the data. Uh, and, and that is from everything from, you know, uh, the hours that it is used down to the point of, uh, of exactly, you know, how many filters did we put in this piece of equipment? Uh, you know, or, or how often uh, has this failed? Uh, and then at that point, uh, then the decisions are easy. Now, they may not be easy at a corporate level from a standpoint of, you know, availability of funds and so on and so forth, but knowing whether you should do it uh, becomes a very simple, uh, a very simple answer. Right. So, I mean, it sounds like, you know, this is an area where, you know, another one of those terms that gets, we talk a lot about in this industry is business intelligence and, and analytics. So I think this is yet another perfect example of if you're collecting, you know, the right data and, and you've got a, a history and a pool of that data, you're able to make, you know, very, uh, you know, informed decisions, you know, around, you know, some of these questions that we just talked about, you know, maybe after this conversation, uh, you can apply some of your methods to determine whether I should, you know, retire my, uh, my Subaru that I have, uh, you know, parked outside of the driveway, you know, whether I should keep plowing money into that into that old car or, you know, right. start leasing a new one or maybe buy an, uh, another one. So, <laughs> yeah. well, interesting. I'm quite certain your, your checking account determines that. And it so, does. It does. Yes, absolutely. It does. Yeah. Absolutely. As should it at a company. Uh, unfortunately, the, the decision makers typically may not see the checkbook from time to time. And so uh, these are very practical decisions, uh, but it, uh, spread across a, you know, a network of 20 distribution centers or 15 manufacturing sites with thousands of employees involved. The problem is, is, is the person controlling the checkbook doesn't always see what's going on, you know, two states away. And right. thus it becomes complex. Yeah. No, and I think what you just, we, the, the picture you just painted, I mean, I think if you were only operating one facility, you, you know, and, and you could probably put your arms around it a little bit better, but Obviously, the bigger you get, the more, you, you know, uh, facilities you have, the more equipment you have. I mean, it just becomes much more, you know, complex if you don't have that proper foundation to, you know, gather that information, gather that data. So then you can at least give yourself the opportunity to make, do the analysis and, and make those decisions. That's uh, so let me, let me go back to, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the measurement piece here. I mean, I, I mean, how do you measure success when it comes to fleet management? I mean, what, what are some of the key key performance indicators that, uh, or metrics that companies should, should be looking at? Yeah, well, I mean, there, there are numerous, and, 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 and in our industry, there are people, they define them as, as sort of, di- you know, different terminology, so on and so forth. But ultimately, what you're looking at uh, from a fleet provider, uh, as well as your local provider, one of the things that must be always taken into consideration is your PM completion percentage, okay? Uh, because ju- just like, you know, we've been told, uh, you know, since the automo- automobile was invented, you know, you need to change the oil in the engine. And, and just, like, uh, just like your car, uh, that preventive maintenance uh, program needs to be in place. Uh, there are also rules set in place from OSHA, standards that need to be, that ever so often this piece of equipment must be uh, maintained from a preventive maintenance standpoint. Safety checks must be, must be uh, you know, through that PM program, uh, what, what should take place is basically all points checked 
to actually make this uh, equipment you know extend its life as well as uh, everything is in operation uh, that the manufacturer uh, created to keep it safe uh, you know that everything begins around the PM you know the the other is is that as you get into the facilities uh, then what you need to be looking at is your abuse versus your uh, normal uh, versus uh, elective uh, maintenance. Uh, abuse is a, is a huge indicator uh, that the piece of equipment is being operated improperly. Uh, and a lot of times uh, your end provider will not give you that information because that's more money for them. So that, so what they want uh, is they want the equipment to be, you know, damaged or to be, you know, operated incorrectly because then that's more opportunity for them to build, uh, to repair more, you know, replace more parts, so on and so forth. But you need to be looking at what is abuse versus elective versus what is normal maintenance on the piece of equipment. Other, the thing that we live and buy by through our, live and die by through our database is cost per hour. Okay. And, and that essentially rolls into everything into the total cost of that piece of equipment. Uh, everything from the parts that are put on it, the, the, the uh, labor hours that are that are used to put the parts in and repair, uh, as well as lease slash whether you're or you possibly may be, you know, depreciating that asset. However it is you do, you need to understand the cost per hour. Uh, and in many instances with our customers, we actually calculate that down into the fact of, okay, what is it, whatever it is they're making. Okay, so this rolls in and helps them be able to begin to actually price what it is they're selling more accurately because, this is what it costs to operate a forklift. This is what it costs to, you know, to have a, the sweeper scrubber in my facility, so on and so forth. Uh, other uh, is utilization, right? Utilization begins to tell you, uh, you know, how, how often uh, this piece of equipment is operating. Uh, numerous times customers tell you, oh, we operate our trucks 3,000 hours per year. Well, that may be how, when the key switch is on, right? And in many instances, the key switch is actually calculate, it's, it's keeping up with hours, uh, but you're actually not using the piece of equipment. So in reality, you are, you are affecting your lease turn in if it's a leased piece of equipment because it's typically based on hours. Uh, and so then you need to begin to check, see, okay, really how much am I actually utilizing this piece of equipment? And so your fleet provider should be able to give you that information. Uh, the, uh, uh, you know, I guess the other thing is when you're working with uh, either your fleet provider or your local dealer, uh, you need to you need to measure first time completion, first time repair completion percentage, right? This all affects your utilization, your uptime with your equipment. What you want is a provider who can come in and reduce. If there is a if there is a uh, you know a repair that needs to be made, then it needs to be repaired right the first time. Uh, otherwise, uh, what happens is 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 that you have more unneeded or unplanned uh, you know you know non value added time, and so. Uh, those are very key in our in, in our industry. Uh, this is what our uh, software that we actually uh, have developed inside of our company uh, that we track these things, uh, and then we push this uh, to our customers, and or uh, they're able to pull however they choose to actually elect that option. Uh, and then this is setting in front of the you know in front of the decision makers uh, so that they can see number one how we're performing for them. Uh, number two, how their equipment uh, is actually uh, being used, uh, and and then hopefully, uh, as 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 our relationship grows, all of these uh, KPIs uh, and the and the discussion that we've had pre previous gives them more insight into uh, what it is and what it costs them.
to actually ship and or manufacture the product that they're making. Yeah, no, a lot of, a lot of great metrics there. And it, it just kind of shows you kind of, uh, you know, if you're going to do this right, you know, the level of detail that is, is required to really tr- get a, as much of a, a true handle right. on, you know, what the costs are, what the utilization rate is and, 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 and so forth. Um, you, you know, Jeff, as you know, kind of coming up short on time here, so I'm just going to go you know, right to my last question here. You, you know, as a way to wrap up, I mean, what are some of the, the key capabilities then that companies should have in place or, or look for in a partner, you know, such, as, uh, such as, as yourself in terms of, let's say, people, you know, process, technology, you know, to make sure that the fleet management operations are optimized and delivering maximum benefits? Yeah. Well, I, I think number one is industry knowledge. Uh, and uh, and then and so and a, and a proven I guess you know a proven record of of actually being able to manage uh, across state lines uh, and or a regional area uh, and in many instances uh, many of our comp- companies here in America actually are up in Canada as well as down in Mexico uh, and then the ability to actually be able to collect that information uh, you know w- one of the things I mean what we're doing is is we're gathering information in many instances. Uh, there are a lot of great companies out there who do this, uh, who actually gather the information. Uh, you know, one of the things that I firmly believe in, uh, the data is more accurate when you're collecting it yourself. And so what we, what we do is we actually put boots in the facility. Uh, and so our method that we move forward with is actually we will put uh, on-site technicians uh, and or we will, we will have a technician in the area that's feeding us the information. Uh, and then that's collected inside of a database, uh, essentially inside of our inside of our software uh, that we use to actually intelligently give us that information. Uh, but what you what you need uh, is someone with that with that proven uh, you know ability to actually come in and explain to you uh, where the holes are. And uh, you know if someone comes in and sits down and talks with you about your fleet, uh, you know uh, interestingly enough, we have dealerships as well. And uh, we were invited in to, uh, uh, to present to, as a subject matter expert to a very large uh, worldwide company. And, uh, and we were asked to go in and we, were not, we weren't allowed to sell. Uh, the, only, the only thing was is I couldn't sell, which is very hard for me not to do. Uh, so we went in as a subject matter expert and immediately we get 10 minutes into the presentation and they said, well, how do you know this and how will you, so just sell us. And I'm like, okay. You've asked me to sell, so now I'm going to sell. How do you know these things? I said, well, as soon as I walk out the door, I'm going to turn my hat around backwards uh, or the, put my other hat on because I'm going to actually do everything that I've just told you not to do from a dealer standpoint. And so it's a whole different mentality. So when you begin to look at uh, selecting a fleet provider, you, you need to have a full understanding of what their mentality is their mentality to sell you more lift trucks or more equipment, uh, or is it to reduce your overall spend? Uh, and so, uh, probably can't have this with actually having a saying that Mr. Kennedy would say. Mr. Kennedy was the founder of our company. Uh, he had a saying that he said that said that pigs get fed and hogs get slaughtered. What you should look for is some is look for someone who has that mentality, right? Uh, not someone who actually wants to come in and sell you lift routes, but someone who wants to come in and actually improve your process. Uh, and, uh, and that's difficult uh, in our industry right now because there's not a lot of people doing this. Uh, and so we're very excited about, uh, about this uh, new industry that we're sort of, or niche that we're kind of uh, 
carving out uh, in the distribution slash manufacturing world uh, that our products operate in. Yeah, no, very, uh, uh, you know, great words of advice there and, and food for thought. Uh, going back, I mean, you know, something you said there in terms of, you know, having technicians on the ground and, and capturing that data. So, so how is the data captured a lot of times? Is it, you know, uh, you know, manually in terms of folks seeing what's happening? Uh, is there a lot of IoT going on here as well, where the equipment is actually reporting back uh, data uh, in an automated fashion to a database? You know, it, it, all of the above? All the above. The fun thing is, is that, is that the material handling industry uh, is probably, you know, I joke about this all the time, we're 10, 15 years behind everything else. Uh, now, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of cool things that, the, you know, that forklifts do now that they, that they didn't do 10 years ago. But if you look at what, like, in over-the-road tractors or your automobile is doing, we're just now beginning to catch up with that. Uh, you know, telemetrics is a huge uh, buzzword in our industry. Uh, where basically you're gathering information from the, from the equipment. Uh, the one thing uh, that, that we haven't been able to actually solve, I guess, is, is how you capture the information when you actually repair the unit. Uh, and so that's where, uh, you know, how that's done, it can be done in numerous ways. Uh, we actually, uh, from our dealer side, uh, we're forced to send our work orders to data collectors uh, who essentially have a software package where they're actually just managing the data. Uh, and we have national customers who actually we have to send that information to. And so they're gathering it from our, uh, from our actual repairs, uh, where we actually employ, like, uh, we utilize uh, just iPads or tablets uh, with our technicians where they're actually inputting the work order so that we get a little more real-time uh, information. Uh, but basically, and then that's fed into our database uh, that creates essentially our, you know, uh, our capture of the information. Uh, but that you know, it's it's not very sexy, and and uh, you know we're 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 hopefully trying to catch up. Uh, but the OEMs, uh, the manufacturers, uh, have you know uh, you know it, you know another three or four years, we're probably going to see much more intelligent information coming from our lift trucks. It's on there now. The problem you have is is tying into the customer's network, and uh, you know if you've ever tried to do that, that gets very tricky uh, because now you're starting to talk, you're actually asking them to open up their network for you. Uh, and, you know, a lot of customers don't want to do that. Uh, and rightfully so. Uh, then if that doesn't work, now you're talking about a sell signal and then you're adding an additional expense. And so we've got to solve this as we move forward. Uh, I mean, it's going to, it's, it's coming uh, and uh, it will be exciting uh, when we actually uh, have sort of caught up with the rest, rest of the you know, technology in the world. So. Great, great. No, Marcus, I mean, I think going back to the initial part of our conversation, you know, having that visibility is really dependent on having that data, right? And then right. You know, how you capture that. Um, and I, I see that as well. I think that the, the technology is going to continue to evolve to make that process, uh, you know, much, much more automated, uh, much more accurate, much more timely, you know, to do what, uh, what you do. Uh, Jeff, like I always say at the end of all our episodes, you know, we, we always just manage to scratch the surface on these topics, but I certainly learned a lot today. Uh, I'm sure our viewers did as well, and, and you provided some great uh, food for thought and insights in this, in, into this whole area where there's certainly a lot of opportunities for cost savings and, and other business benefits. So thank you again for making the time to be with us today. Oh, you're welcome. I, it was a great time, Adrian. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about what I love. Thank you. Great. I want to uh, thank uh, those of you that joined us. If you're watching this episode on demand, either at the Kenko website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for Jeff, uh, you can post it there, and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium.
Again, thank you all for joining us and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.